Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mama's Pearls. I am your hostess, Cynthia, and here at Mama's Pearls, we like to say that we take the most beautiful pieces of life and string them together. And I'm always exploring what it, what exactly that means, and um, and this week I'm thinking how just how all the different facets of our lives that we are working and dealing with, particularly with being parents you know, they have to make some sort of sense. Otherwise, why are, why are we doing this and putting so much effort? So this is part of my my effort and my work to to help busy parents string, um, string all the questions that they might have in their minds together. Now, this week we have a very special guest with us, and we're going to be talking about what it's like to be Dr. Mom. Now, what we were talking about on last week's show, just to recap, last week's show was Film Fest, and this entire summer we've been we've been going in sort of down the recreational route and having having a really good time taking it easy. We've been traveling, we've been dining and eating, we've been at the movies, and now we're kind of gearing up. The, the summer's closing out. The weather here in the Northeast is already starting to change. It dropped like 30 degrees in a week. And we're starting to gear up for back-to-school mode. And as part of that process, naturally, you know, after you've been out and running around all summer, you get a little bit run down and we have to reboot the health. So, you know, when we were at the movies last week, though, the pearl of the week last week was emotion captured, and we were very lucky to have a special guest. Um, Granny Ranny has is her nickname, but Ranny Levy of Kids First International joined us to to tell us about her organization and her own personal passion for both film and children and helping families make conscious choices when it comes to selecting movies for their children. I talk about it all the time on Mama's Pearls, you know, simply because I am an entertainment lawyer and I have a sick obsession with movies and it is part of my vernacular. And I swear if if my law school classes were set to set to movies or animated or in any way like a visual visual arts form, I would have had the highest scores ever. Um, it's just how I learn and I process. I'm, I'm much more of a visual learner. and But like everything else, you can take it into an obsession and you can get to get to love it a little too much. So um, when it comes to filtering out the the media with your children and putting them on a healthy media diet, which is one of the roles that Kids First International sees themselves doing, is really to um, is to help family develop a healthy 
viewing relationship with films. Both from the parent side, they, they have wonderful resources on their website, and um, they do film festivals across the country with films that are pre-screened, pre-selected. They basically screen the films with adults and with children. And I think one of the, the main things that we learned from this show is that, and it seems pretty obvious, but it's very much something that we often forget is that an adult has an adult perspective and a chill and cannot possibly see things the same way as a child. And a child's perspective is very unique and we never quite know exactly what they're going to take away from a movie or from something that they're exposed to and, you know, how they're going to process and register it. So one of the things that Melissa had in her M Shems on Friday was about that process and how to make it easier and less scarier for children and for parents to really engage in communication with their children about what they're watching, about how it affects them, and what they are taking away from the film or or show or whatever it is that they're seeing, whether it's animated or real live action um, media, that we stay involved and in communication with our children about how they are processing what they're seeing. Melissa, are you on the line with us today? I am, enjoying this lovely rainy day. Yeah, yeah I was just saying how, how lovely it is now that we're fast-forwarding into fall and the weather's kind of dropped like 30 degrees in a, in a week. It's like they've decided summer's over, now we're moving forward, let's go, fall. Exactly. There, there's no transition in the seasons anymore. It's like it's like the rain. We don't get normal rain. It's torrential downpour. So, um, you know, we're just constantly being being hit over the head. And um, so we're just talking and recapping last week's chat with um, Randy Livy of Kids First. And I really loved your your M's gems for the week as far as helping guiding parents to make healthier media choices or selections on the media diet with their children. So is there anything you wanted to plug into the space there? No, I just appreciate the rain all week because a lot of the feedback was, wow, what great advice and perfect timing may hit a movie today since camp is over. <laughs> I feel like everyone I know went to the movies with their kids last week. So um, talk about good timing. But yeah, yeah no, we are I, so on the money here at Mama's Pearls. I think what thing that comes out is once again, you know, if there's one theme throughout everything we do with our children, it's communication and 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 asking questions and you know continuing the conversation about what we're doing with our, you know these activities are great and we spend a lot of money, but we should also you know get some feedback you know just like you know make sure we're understanding are they enjoying this are they you know age appropriate and so forth so. Communication was always, it always comes back. It's always an important gem. It is always key. So if you want to continue the conversation with Melissa or, and or I about last week's Pearl or, or anything else for that matter that we do here at Mama's Pearls, feel free to email us. I'm at Cynthia at MamasPearls.com or you can reach Melissa at MamasPearls.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SynTweet, C-Y-N-T-W-E-E-T. All of the M's, Gems, and Mama's Pearls blogs are up on our website, which is www.mamaspearls.com. You can listen to our chat with Randy Levy of Kids First International on the archives at blogtalkradio.com. 
So now as we shift into this week, you're more than welcome to to call in and chat with Melissa and I and our special guest um, today. The number is 347-327-9450. So jumping ahead into this week's show, which is Dr. Mom, and I've been really thinking about this for a long time, and every time that I've been taking my children to the pediatrician, which everybody knows um, when you have young children, it's like once a month or once every other, like, you know, basically my pediatrician's number is on speed dial, and I have it memorized, and he, he, I, I've been fortunate enough that our personal pediatrician was also my husband's pediatrician and a good family friend um, of my husband and his family. So, you know, he's been really walking me through some, some pretty, some pretty tough transitions because when you become a parent, it's and I say this all the time on Mama's Pearls, it's one thing to take care of yourself. It's quite another to feel the heft, the responsibility to take care of your children and to be fully responsible for your children. And I was, you know, joking a little bit, but I'm really serious when I was saying in this week's blog, Dr. Mom, that when you have children, you basically take your own Hippocratic oath as a mom to care for your children. I mean, it is a legal responsibility. You are ultimately responsible for for the health care and well-being of your children. And it's something that you should absolutely not take lightly, but it's also something that I feel that many parents get lost in and become over-neurotic about, that they lose, lose sight of what the practical steps really are. And with the pendulum swinging so so far and so fast, basically, the healthcare regulations seem to change every single day, and even the development of medicine, which I, which I talk about a little bit about the history in this week's blog, and I could have gone on researching that for for years. I just found it so fascinating. Is um, is constantly changing, and you know everybody's different, and everybody has a different belief system about about illness and about people getting sick and. Um, I don't want to veer into talking about terminal illnesses or really serious cases, at least not not for not for our first go round talking about health care um, for our children. We can obviously get into that in in the shows, but the first the first pearl on this string is going to be about talking about the general basic health care and what we all need to do to be doctor doctor moms. Now, before we go into the substance and before I bring on and introduce our our very special guest today, I did want to just put a disclaimer out there that, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor, our guest is, but we're still hosting this this call and this show, and this is my legal hat coming on. I got my doctor mom hat and my legal hat, but this is really for informational and general discussion and educational purposes, and you should not take anything that Melissa and I say ever as um, as as complete dicta of how you should operate in your own lives and with your own families. Like I said, everybody's different, and with everything that we talk about today, please do your own research. Please consult your own instincts and your own healthcare professionals. So with that being said, we are now transitioning into back to school. And with back to school comes back to school physicals. And obviously, when our children get thrown back into the classrooms, they come out usually with colds. And we're also embarking on flu season and all this other stuff that can really scare us out of our shorts. 
But when you've had multiple children like Melissa and I, usually you become a little bit more of a professional and Band-Aids are, are right in your, <laughs> in your pocketbook with your, um, with your lip stuff and, and everyday items. So with this introduction in mind, I would like to welcome our very special guest, who has been a practicing pediatrician for over 30 years. Like I said, he was my husband's pediatrician, so it's well over 30 years. So, Dr. Arnie, are you with us? I sure am. Hello, and welcome to Mama's Pearls. Hi there. Uh, Actually, it was very interesting. Uh, I was listening to the first 10 minutes or so, and you hit on a very good point on a rainy day, uh, taking your kids to the movies, and I just want to comment on two two aspects of that. One is get your kids some exercise because the movies are just part of the uh, rainy day activities. And if you can add some exercise into that as a pediatrician and going with the uh, trends of uh, medical advice that pediatricians give is think of something where a kid is going to be active besides just sitting there eating popcorn in a movie theater. And the other thing is to step back from just wanting to find an activity for your your child on a rainy day and look at the content of what the child's going to be watching either at the movies or on TV or on the DVD and just think of what you want to expose your child to. Uh, You probably touched on this last week, and I don't want to reiterate anything, but uh, one of my uh, pet peeves is when I watch some of these uh, shows on TV and there's violence and there's um, even illegal activities like, you know, uh, stealing things and undermining other uh, other children's uh, academic activities. And I kind of say, why would anybody put this on TV to show it to little kids and teach them how not to behave? So I just wanted to add that because I found... uh, what I just heard, you know, your, your summary of last week to be very interesting from that aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's good, good, good advice from our, from our doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, and, and Dr. Arnie, I'm going to ask you to just speak up a little. I'm, okay. I'm calling it from a different phone, so I want everybody Actually, to... Actually, yeah, and I have to apologize because the gardeners decided to come just about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so the hum that you hear in the background is somebody trying to mow the front lawn in the rain, which makes okay. it louder. Okay. Not um, a problem. So, so go ahead. speaking about gardening, let's jump into something that is on the forefront of many moms' minds, and that is allergies. Okay. And particularly seasonal allergies. I mean, what do you see in your practice being the most common allergies with children? Well, the starting in late January, uh, you do get tree allergies. And although it seems a little strange when the trees are covered with snow, uh, but the tree season actually starts late January, early February. And uh, kids coming in sniffling in February, even though you don't see the buds on the trees, they're starting. And that you do see allergies and you do see coughing and you do see sleepless nights from the sniffling and positioning of the head to try to breathe better. Uh, and, you know, the, these, act, these uh, sleep deficits, the stuffy nose, 
this uh, wiping of the uh, of the face, all can have effects, uh, and mostly negative, obviously, on a kid's school behavior, a uh, kid's academic performance, uh, and the general well-being. So these are all things that if you know, if a child is not sick, and certainly if there's clear nasal discharge. Uh, and like I said, starting in even late January, you can start thinking of allergies. Uh, starting in April or so, you start to get your grass allergies overlapping your tree allergies. And then all of a sudden, the end of May, the trees are all, the, the, the flowers, uh, like if you drive down Searingtown Road, it's very pretty to see those white blossoms on all the trees, but <laughs> with that comes allergy. So right. the, those those blossoms come down the end of May, and then you're stuck with your grass allergies for the summer. And starting around, well, a little bit before now, but in the last month, you're starting to get your ragweed allergies. And the ragweed, people say, well, I, I don't live near a swamp. I don't see any big uh, weeds growing. But the ragweed is actually that grubby stuff that you see on the side of the road, on the curb. And so... Basically, that's going to last until the end of September, early October. And so from the beginning of January through October, you're going to have your trees, grass, and ragweed allergies. Then in October, we start to stay indoors. <laughs> it keeps and getting have, better. And then we have dust allergies. And because it was moist all fall, we now have mold growing. Uh, so... You know, you have year-round indoor-outdoor allergies. There's a lot of exposure. And especially in this area where everybody loves their lawns and everybody loves their flowers and their beautiful trees, and they all contribute to the allergy seasons. So awesome. those are things Something. that you know, I'm, not gonna, I'm obviously not going to give specific advice on how to treat the allergies nor even how to diagnose the allergies. The, the key okay. thing really is that if your kid is stuffy, if your kid is, has a runny nose, if your kid keeps wiping his face, uh, there's terminologies for that. They, like if your kid keeps wiping his nose, they call that an allergic salute. If they have uh, uh, shadows under their eyes, they call that allergic shiners, etc. But uh, those are all things that you can bring to your doctor's attention. And uh, whether you believe in medication, whether you believe in homeopathic treatments, whether you believe in just doing nothing, these are all things that you, know, that you have to think about under those circumstances. And, you know, you can ask your doctor, and I'm sure, you, you know, your doctor has advice to give you. Um, people go online, but um, that's a totally other, you know, totally other topic. Um, well, I, let's, let's, talk about that. let's talk for, about that a little bit, Arnie, because okay. um, there is a whole host of information out there on the, on, on the Internet that's available. So many moms do feel empowered that at least we can um, arm ourselves with information or give ourselves a context between of what you guys are talking to about. I mean, most, most medical terms, I think, are derivative from Latin. And when you say things and itis and this and that, you know, I don't know what you're saying. So it, in that sense, it, it is helpful for me. And I know Melissa has a personal story about how it's, 
it's really helped empowered her. And Melissa, you know, also just putting out there in the space, does work in the medical profession. So she is much more knowledgeable about medical-related issues than than probably the average the average mom. Um, Melissa, do you want to chime chime in with that? Well, also I think my personality, where data, you know, understanding or understanding completely what the possible, you know, basically I've read the PDR, which is the physician's best reference to know what every drug is. So, you know me, I'm a data junkie, so. <laughs> right. Well, um, so I, from, but from I your think, perspective, Dr. Arnie, like how is it helpful and how is it det- detrimental? Okay. I, from a, from a, <laughs> it, it's a hard question, but it, it is a pet peeve, uh, among other things. The Internet uh, is, to, uh, to put information on the Internet takes nothing, uh, meaning that anybody could put information on the Internet. Uh, I remember, Including me. Right. In, <laughs> years ago, I remember uh, wanting to look up Ritalin on, for some, you know, for, for, to treat a patient or to investigate. I don't remember the circumstances. And I put www.ritalin.com into the uh, computer, and I got an anti-Ritalin website. Uh, And the problem is that anybody could put anything on the Internet. And what happens is you could put misinformation, you could put distortion, you could put malicious things on the Internet. On the other hand, it could be very useful. When somebody calls up, uh, Melissa had mentioned the PDR. The PDR is rather limited. Uh, there are there, there, the uh, drugs that are listed in the PDR are the brand names because the brand name companies want their information out there. But generic names are not necessarily found in the internet in the uh, PDR. So a lot of times I will go on the internet and try to find information out about a medication that a patient is on that is not in the PDR. And but I limit myself to certain websites. And those are legitimate what I call legitimate websites. Those are websites that I trust like WebMD. Uh for instance, um uh, the website of the manufacturer of the uh, of the medication, uh, and basically other brand name websites. I don't want to find a website where somebody has um, some kind of bone to pick with a drug that they don't feel worked, or worse yet, that had an adverse effect on them. Uh, that information is interesting, but I don't use it as from an informational standpoint. It's more of a uh, gee, I'm interested in, in, you know, a negative effect of a medication that might not be reported in the PDR or on, uh, on a, a WebMD-type website, but it's information that, that can be useful, uh, you know, because you have to realize that every drug that comes out has been tested, but if, if there's going to be a reaction in, in 100,000 people and the, the drug is tested on 50,000 people, they may miss that side effect. So that information is interesting, but you have to realize where the source is. And the source may be somebody who really doesn't understand medicine and is just putting out what I guess would be called propaganda. But again, the Internet is full of distortions, misinformation, and hopefully not, but I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, 
uh, of detrimental information out there uh, that can be dangerous. So if you, you know, you can do your research, but before making a final decision, you might want to trust, uh, you, you know, your healthcare professional to go through that information. I do not mind when somebody comes into my office and says, I saw on the Internet that this medicine has this kind of side effect. You know what? It may be a rare side effect. It may not be listed in the book. But it may be something that I might be interested in. So, right. you know, that disclaimer or warning about the websites, about the Internet, is, you know, is a real warning. On the other right. hand, there is plenty of good information on the websites. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the pediatric societies, the American Canon Pediatrics, uh, Web, like I said, WebMD, um, a lot of the health systems like North Shore LIJ have information on, the, on their websites uh, of good general guidance. So, they, so uh, it is useful. So, yeah, doctor, so basically the, the point is to keep the communication with doctors. and ask. It's, so it's okay to ask you, say, hey, doc, I'd like to find out more information about seasonal allergies. Do you recommend a website? Or So it, the good thing is to ask your pediatrician to, to direct you in the right place onto the Internet. And usually physicians will be able to give one or two websites to allow right. to save you time and also allow parents to, to, to do a little bit of surfing and understanding better, but just in the right direction. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, you, good. You, well, you, I think that's have, a fair way to do it. You realize where, the, where the, the information is coming from. And, uh, you know, and extra information is not always dangerous. Uh, you know, personal information is the way that, you know, that side effects are reported. You know, the, 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 a medication that's been considered safe and then all of a sudden uh, here and there there's people who complain that's the way uh, a medication gets recalled. So that information is useful, but there's a lot of scary stuff out there also. And, yeah, you know, and, you don't and, know, and you that's have to what I wanted to just say, because yeah. I know from my, from my personal experience, when anything happens with my kids, it, it's really easy to start fearing the worst. And you can go out on the Internet or even just talking to people and hear fluke situations and find the worst. You know, I know I've come to you on occasion and been like, well, does this mean, you know, the ultimate extreme is going to happen? And, um, and you know, usually you say, well, that's, that's a long way from where we're starting from. Um, and I think that's just an important parameter. I mean, yeah, anything can happen at any moment with our kids. And, you know, even, even – and it seems that even – usual customary colds can be something else and go extreme, but um, you know, for the run-of-the-mill stuff, it just seems that you really do have to do your own filtering, like when we were talking with, with um, Randy Levy, and perhaps that there should be sort of a, a rating system in place for, for the Internet when it comes to healthcare information, and I don't know if there is or is not, but I certainly would like to, to like see that happen. Well, there really isn't. Uh, you know, there are recommended websites like uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, I'm sure, will recommend a website. Uh, the American Academy of uh, Family Physicians probably recommends certain websites for information. But the bottom line is that this is all information that's written by a person or a group of people. And, you know, the the best thing, you know, the best thing I could say is that you know, uh, medicine is a, considered a science by many, but it's really an art. And an art means that there's interpretation of the artwork. 
and it's the same in medicine. You can, you know, you you give all the information to the doctor, and then the doctor interprets it. And to me, that's an art and not a science. We're not computers. Uh, you know, a computer that doesn't really do anything but a scientific analysis of the data. And there's no, you know, and the art of medicine is something that's not really appreciated. And, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, your kid has a cold and it could be a regular, you know, run-of-the-mill cold. Yes, it could be a cold on day one. It could be a cold on day two when you go to the doctor. But on day three, if all of a sudden your child starts running a fever and green pouring out of the nose and the eyes, obviously you're not going to go by the diagnosis on day one and day two that this is just a cold. You're going to want to seek the medical attention from the doctor. And that's, you know, it's the same with with what you read on the Internet. You know, it's probably a bad analogy, but the Internet has a lot of facts on it. Somebody has to interpret it. Yeah, I think it's a perfect analogy, and I remember during our most recent visit, um, you you were talking about this in in you know the ultimate um, view of how doctors are are seen, and basically the the, the solo practicing pediatrician is a lost art form, um, and you know obviously getting into the business side of the trillion dollar healthcare industry is not where I want to go on this on this on this call. Um, but it is an underlying factor in almost everything with medicine. But you were really saying about when it comes to prescribing a course of action with your children and with your patients that it is not a perfect science. And, you know, and people, you know, every single person's makeup is, is different. And tracking that and keeping our kids healthy is a lot of give and, give and take, and unfortunately, trial by fire. It just so happens, though, you know, the decisions that we make on the healthcare of my of my kids is a lot different than what I make every day in law. You know, my decisions when I'm when I'm practicing law and with my clients are not life life or death. If I mess up a contract, yeah, okay, it might it might affect the rights or money situation with my clients, but it's not going to kill them. You know, right. so I think I think that's like you know really the underlying fear, and why there's so much hypertension, to use a medical term, but so much hypertension around how we handle the healthcare and how we see the healthcare industry, and why yes, it's an art form, but we do look at our doctors today in medicine more like the gods and the magicians that are going to wave a magic wand, and you know doing my history research and just from from knowing um, about different spiritual practices, that was very much the role of the medicine man and the shamans and, you know, all the the healing um, people in a tribe or in a certain culture was to bring in that magic and and those religious beliefs that we believed if they believed that if a child or somebody was sick, it was a punishment of the gods or stemming from something, something else. And medicine is kind of developed and morphed and become more, quote, sophisticated and technologically advanced and kind of almost moving away from the, di- from the, um, the everyday facets of, it, of, a, of your life and into much more of a, just a symptomatic treat. But I think when we're looking at all of that um, and what is going on with you and your children and your family, you know, obviously when you're standing in your doctor's office, you want to make sure that you're and believe that your doctor is omnipotent as possible and has all the magical healing powers in their arsenal. And then, you know, you learn that (laughs) 
the next day after you've had three months on a certain medication that that medication is recalled. So like you said, it's not a perfect science. It is an art firm. It is malleable. But, you know, again, there is that underlying fear that this is our health that we're talking about, which is our greatest commodity and something, you know, we all need to need to maintain in order to, you know, live a healthy, quote, healthy life. Right. Well, one thing that you said, which, you know, it's not that I disagree with, but uh, the interpretation could be a little different. Uh, one thing is that as far as I'm concerned, taking care of your child is a team responsibility. Mm-hmm. The parent is part of the team. The doctor is part of the team. And mm-hmm. teamwork means that everybody has input. Right. And when a, when a parent, you know, I, I, when a parent comes into the office, I don't want the, you know, the child put down on the table, and I don't want to have the feeling that it's okay, doc, make your diagnosis and treat my child. Right. Uh, it's a team. You're going to be with that child 23 hours and 45 minutes more than I will. Right. And so I'm going to see a child for 10 minutes. I need as many facts as possible when you come into the office. I need, you know, we call it the medical history, but the medical history is very important. When we make rounds at the hospital, we just don't go into a room where a child has had abdominal pain and be told this child has abdominal pain. We want to know when the pain started, what kind of pain it is, what makes the pain worse, what makes the pain better, where the child was yesterday, what the child ate. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. And that well, I think information that's really important. To... Yeah, that's very important information for parents to know going in is basically what to, how to filter your own. Um, voice and basically provide pertinent information. So continue right. with that even list. If, even, even if you have to write it down. Uh, and even be honest. I've known parents that won't tell doctors that they've given some um, homeopathic remedies. And, you know, you know, I think the, the most important thing about a medical history, and let me know what your thoughts are, doctor, is to have the full history. <laughs> right. You know, everything. Right. Because you know, you, there's one piece of information missing that could definitely hinder, you know, your diagnosis or your whatever you're looking to do moving forward with that patient. Well, uh, you know, I've I've heard, and obviously I can't, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that it's been in my practice, but where a patient has been brought into a doctor and the parent, on purpose, like you say, withholds information. Uh, it's sort of like, well, let's see if the doctor notices this, or let's see if the doctor does that. It's not a game. It's, right. you know, we're, we're a team trying to improve the quality of this child's health and life. And we need input. We need honest input. We need voluminous input. There is nothing that you are going to say that I will go outright and say, I don't need to know that information. You know what? I may say it in my mind, but, you know, I've had patients give, you know, I, I've had patients give me a history I've examined the patient fully, and I've, and as they're leaving, I say, you know, after I say, well, I don't think it's anything significant. As they're leaving, the mother will say, oh, gee, that's a relief. After all, I, I, when he, when he had this seizure, I thought that, uh, you know, that it was something serious. I said, what seizure? You didn't tell me about that. Well, he was shaking. Right. You know, something like that. It, you know, the more more information, the better. And look, you know, I've been in practice for 30 years, and 
I've heard, you know, a lot of things, and the, I, I would tell you outright, the most important thing is the history of the patient. Physical exam, yeah, it can be very important, but a lot of times the history will guide you during the physical exam, guide you in the, the workup of the child, and the history is provided by the parent, not by the physical exam. And right. in, in pediatrics, and not by the patient. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you also mean the family history. Family history, travel history, um, you, you know, every aspect of the history, uh, every aspect of how the child lives. If it, you know, if, if you've been in a foreign country, that changes everything. Uh, right. You know, if you, you know, if you were in Africa on a safari two months ago, you could have picked up something. And right. if you don't if you withhold that information either on purpose or you know, or unwillingly withhold that information, you you know, that's not gonna help any. And so the the in when you we started the conversation a uh, half hour ago talking about allergies. Uh you take food allergies. The most important thing, if you think that your child has an allergic reaction to food, is to take the time to sit down and write every single thing that that child has eaten over the last couple of days down on a piece of paper. While, while it's fresh in your mind, while you have the bottles or cans uh, with, with the labels that tell you the contents of, the, of what the child uh, took in, and you present that because that is going to be important. Uh, yeah, right. I, had a, I had a patient who uh, who um, was going around to Whole Foods and the kid was tasting all the different cheeses and everything and had an allergic reaction to something, broke out in hives. And the, the, I told the parent, go back to, to Whole Foods and get a copy of the labels of all these different cheeses and all these different foods that the child sampled. And Whole Foods uh, was very cooperative about it and provided all the information they could, and that's going to help us in the future. It's not going to help us when we have, you know, 100 different contents, but the child ever, uh, 100 different ingredients, if the child ever has an allergic reaction again, you have that piece of paper that has all the all the suspect uh, ingredients on it, and you can do cross-reference with, uh, you know, with the, the foods that this child has had during the second episode of an allergic reaction. And you you play CSI, uh, and, and you you know you've investigated it, and sometimes you come up with a conclusion as to what the, the child's allergic to. So that all the information, the family history is very important. Some diseases run in the family. Uh, some disorders run in the family. They don't have to be infectious diseases or diseases like Crohn's disease or celiac disease. They could be uh, emotional, psychological, you know, psychological. Uh, uh, problems that run in the family. These are all important pieces of information, and nobody should feel embarrassed to reveal that. Uh, right. There's nothing embarrassing about that. But I do want to re- reemphasize right there because you just threw out a whole bunch of information. Is um, you know, one what I'm loving is that it's basically doctors' orders to keep the generational. Um, information and knowledge of your family alive and your responsibility to, to go out and ask your parents questions about their health care. And I know a lot of parents are also very private in what they share with their kids for whatever reason and not wanting to <laughs> disclose information until after after an episode happens. Um, but really trying, 
try and have a conversation with them to get them to open up about not only their medical history but what they remember from, you know, down down your generational line. That's first. The second thing that I was thinking of when you were saying, because I do this all the time, you know, I have delayed reactions when, when we're in our office visit, and yes, I, you know, I completely understand that I can't spend an entire, an entire day with you, and I'm just happy to squeeze out even this hour talking with you um, a little bit more one-on-one, is that you do need to respect, be respectful of your doctor's time, because they do need to see other patients. However, um, when you're going in for, a, particularly with me, a morning, a morning appointment and you're not a morning person and you didn't have sleep the night before because your kid was up sick all night to do yourself a favor and take the time and make a list and write out as much as you can so you do remember it and whether you're coherent or can form a sentence together when you're in the doctor's um, office the next day, you know, hand him the sheet of paper um, so he can read through and, and see what what is going on, what the symptoms are and all the information that that Dr. Arnie was just talking about. The third piece that I just wanted to throw out there about the doctor-patient relationship is that it is a privileged and confidential relationship. So, um, you know, again, this isn't full medical advice, but this is um, an educational piece, is that the information that you share with your doctor that is related to the medical history and treatment of you or your children is protected and privileged. So Dr. Arnie can't go out and, you know, party with his neighbors and gossip about you and your medical history. He's not allowed to do that. And it's all part of the process and underlying notion that, again, health care with your children is a team sport, essentially. It is a, it requires, um, requires everybody to be as forthcoming as possible, and that's why the legal rules are in effect to help protect and make people feel comfortable that when the doctor's door closed that you do have that doctor-patient privilege in effect, and so feel free to share as much information um, you know, with your doctor as possible. Right. There is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, your doctor should be practicing the you know be compliant with the privacy uh, rules that are in effect, and so that that information which you don't want anybody else to know about should not really leave that practice, right. and so you shouldn't be afraid to to give that information. Uh, I will and, say that you can't go into your doctor's office and tell them that you killed someone because that they can and will disclose. But oh, anything that's yeah. related to your medical uh, treatment that, and that health, hasn't happened. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that, hasn't, that hasn't happened. Good, and and hopefully not going what it never does. Yeah. Um, but you know, just keep in mind anything that's medically related, and you should you should feel comfortable enough to disclose you know to disclose and have a conversation with your with your doctor and even if your doctor you know discards it as well okay that's not that's not relevant you know still feel good in in sharing it and don't do your don't do the don't do your editing yourself i guess, i guess that's the point yeah no i you know it, it's it's a good point because uh, you know the information you may not think it's worthwhile but over the right. years little little tidbits of information all of a sudden there's a, uh, you know, you'll see the doctor uh, raise his eyebrow or her eyebrow, and that actually is a key point. That may mean nothing to you, but in the doctor's, you know, education and experience, might mean something to him or her. 
Right. Information and knowledge is definitely power. So, okay, so we talked a little bit about the clear snot, and I constantly feel like I am on booger patrol with my kids. Um, and part of that I remember you saying saying to me and just part of the process is when your kids are really young, they don't know how to blow their nose. So, you know, runny noses do and will happen. At what point, I mean, you, you mentioned when the, nose, when, the, when the color changes from clear to a little bit green, you know, what other, what other are like telltale signs that your kids are are getting sick. Well, you know, not to get into specifics because the problem is that uh, you can make all the generalities you want. Every individual right. child is his own or her own body, and even clear mucus could be, you know, could be something other than an allergy. Right. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's hard to. You know, to get into specifics, but clear discharge from a child's nose after a head injury could be a sign of a very serious problem. So that clear just doesn't mean allergies. So I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to, you know, give the false impression that clear is always good and is always allergy. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule, and so, you know, that that's medical information that you know should be used as a general. Uh, you know, just in general, but not necessarily for each individual child. What I would say to you is that if a child is acting funny, is acting tired, uh, behavior changes, uh, there's a fever, the color of the discharge changes, uh, that those are all signs that, you know, maybe you should seek medical advice. Right. Uh, and, and I think after a while you They're not exclusive, you know. Yeah, well, I think after a while you do you do kind of pick up on the cues from your own children. Um, I know when my when my son was born, one of the first things that I, I knew he was going to get sick, and and I was both nervous but wanting kind of to get the first one one over with, <laughs> wanting it to happen and just get it over with. And um, you know he just turned and he got his first fever at six months old, and I remember he coming and see you, and you were like, well, congratulations. <laughs> Um, because your kids, you know, and I hate to be the one to say it because I don't like putting it out there, but your kids ultimately will will get sick. They are little just germy creatures, and when they play with other germy creatures, and, you know, it's just going to happen. But through that experience, you know, I I remember being on the phone with you, like every raise a degree in temperature, and just you walked me through that that entire, entire, you know, what one or two nights I don't remember, but – you know, after that, I started really seeing and learning and picking up on his cues. And like you said, I mean, he gets really, really tired and just kind of mopey and his whole face starts sagging and his eyes kind of glass over. And, you know, and then I just know, like a couple of weeks ago, I just knew that he was getting sick. Um, and with my daughter, I was I was much more armed and not as scared I think it's just a second child syndrome, like not as scared for her to get sick. And, again, I'm, I'm not talking extreme cases. I'm just talking, you know, basic common colds and first first fevers. Um, but, you know, she had scarier symptoms because you know, my son tends to run a lower-grade fever, which, you know, and I do want you to kind of talk about the fever spectrum in a minute, um, where my son, you know, he typically runs about 100, 101, where my daughter, she, when she gets sick, it's, it's like a fever of 102 plus. 
And even though I I was more comfortable, you know, when your daughter starts getting like screaming hot fevers, um, that can be really scary. So what's kind of like the fever safety spectrum? Because I know there's like there's different ranges in terms of what you consider serious. Well, due to privacy regulations, I can't discuss your individual children. No, but. please don't. <laughs> okay. Children, everybody has a different thermal regulatory uh, thermostat, if you want to call it that. Uh, some I, I have personally seen a kid with meningitis, which is obviously one of the an inflammation of the uh, of uh, the lining of the nervous system going up into the brain and down the spinal cord that we used to see years and years and years ago. Uh, much more often, uh, and but I won't get into what it, you know the fact that I believe that the, the vaccinations that we give uh, make these diseases very rare now. They were not rare when I first started practice, but uh, I have seen kids with meningitis with 99.8 temperatures, and I have seen kids with typical summer viruses like Coxsackie or like in, in infants and toddlers, uh, uh, roseola where they've had 105 fever. And those are fairly harmless, as long as you don't get a febrile convulsion with them, uh, fevers. So that the height of the fever isn't necessarily a sign of the severity of the disease. And there are children, just like you alluded to, where one child, the two children can have the same illness. One will have a 99 and the other will have 103. That that's, that's usually how my kids go. Right. That happens, and there's even been controversy over the, the, the years as to the importance of fever. Uh, there's a school of thought that says that fever, uh, the body produces fever in order to make its immuno, immunologic competency better. Um, that, in other words, the antibodies and the other cell and the cells of the body that work against illness uh, work better in an elevated temperature. It's still controversial. I, you know, I haven't seen any studies recently about it. But the fever is just another sign of an illness and should be treated as such. Um, you know, every, every doctor, every practice has a different level at which they, they recommend either acetaminophen or, uh, or ibuprofen. Uh, we do not use aspirin in children. Uh, I have a big sign up in my waiting room saying, "Do not give aspirin in any form to any child." child. And that's because that's because uh, 30, 36 years ago, I was in the intensive care. I was a, the intern in the intensive care unit at uh, the Children's Hospital. Actually, it was just Long Island Jewish before uh, even the concept of a children's hospital came to life. And uh, we had something called Rye syndrome where I must have taken care of anywhere between 6 and 12 kids with terrible symptoms of Rye syndrome. And it would, we ultimately showed that Rye syndrome was a disease that uh, came out in certain individuals with a combination of aspirin and either the flu or chickenpox. And there's no way of telling ahead of time which children will be the unfortunate children to to. Uh, come down with uh, Rye syndrome in that combination. So we've eliminated aspirin from our armamentarium uh, for just that reason. 
And right. back in those days, uh, you know, everybody, as soon as a kid had a fever, would run and rush and give the kid aspirin. Uh, you don't necessarily have to run and, and give the kid uh, acetaminophen or ibuprofen. Uh, it's to comfort the child more than it is from a medical standpoint. Uh, right. But, you know, people are afraid of uh, febrile convulsions. Febrile convulsions occur in individuals who have the potency to have febrile convulsions. Their temperature threshold for having a convulsion might be much lower than somebody else. They may have a febrile convulsion at 102, whereas another kid would have it at 105. Another kid would have nothing with 106. So like I said before in the talk, every child is different. And every doctor's interpretation or you know, uh, theory behind using uh, antipyretics, anti-fever medication is different, and so you really should consult your pediatrician uh, when a child has a fever. You don't necessarily have to grab the kid and, and rush into the doctor's office immediately uh, right. with a fever because it is just one of the signs. Like you, as soon as your kid coughs, you don't grab the child and run to the doctor. So, but you can confer well, with the doctor. Well, I mean, you're, yeah, that's that's you're talking about most moms. Some moms, you know, yeah, their their kid has a runny nose, their kid has any sign they're out the door, you know, either to the doctor's office. I mean, I know I wouldn't sit idly by if my my kid's fever is, you know, 102 plus, you know, 104, right. 105. That, that to me is like scary, very scary spectrum. And I mean, I'd either be out the door to your office or to your home or, or you know, on the, on the way to the hospital. And I know a lot of moms think that, and I hear it all the time, where moms pack up in the middle of the night and they go to the hospital. I mean, you know, obviously not knowing all the specifics and not, you know. Right. Well, look, I know when, when somebody wants to go, when a mother feels the need to go to the hospital because they don't like the way the kid looks, I respect that. And most physicians will respect that because you're with the child. You know the child's right. personality. You, you know, you're looking at that child. I can't tell you over the phone that your child is well when you're looking at the child and you're scared. And like I said right. to you, you have to realize that a 99.5 temperature in some children might really be something to, of concern. Uh, right. You know, not only that, but, you know, we're talking about fevers and we're talking about children who have what we, you know, what we're, most of the time is an infectious disease. But you can have a child who looks terrible, has a normal temperature, and it's a child who is just starting to have diabetes or, or you know, so, some other illness that needs medical attention but isn't nececessarily accompanied by a fever. So, right. you know, in a roundabout way, all these are symptoms that you can discuss with your pedi- you know, pediatrician's office and decide at what point to come in. You don't have to come rushing in with a fever. A lot of times the illnesses will take time to take the full course, like something like a strep throat. Maybe a kid will have a headache the first day, maybe a fever, maybe not, and then the next day the throat hurts. Uh, pediatricians have all gone through where you see a child with a sore throat or a fever, you do a, a strep test, it's negative, and, and a day later the child is sicker, comes into your office, and the strep test is positive. Uh, right. the, the, the human body and the, the illnesses that the human body uh, can, can endure are all uh, ongoing events, and right. you know we we you know I, I always use uh, an example in my practice where I saw a kid thoroughly examine the child with a cold, 
and the ears looked perfectly fine. The child got into the you know got into the car. They drove two lights. The child sneezed, started screaming that his ear hurt, and came back with an ear infection. Unusual, <laughs> but it happens that fast. Right. Right. So. I mean, all the all the fluky things can can happen. Right. I think the the ultimate the ultimate takeaway is to obviously be on top of your children, be an active participant in their in their health care in their daily daily lives and again you know no, nobody's going to know your children better than you which is why you know I always feel like I'm playing the role of doctor mom and need to arm myself with as good as information as as I can get a hand on about what to what to do how to read their signs you know and when you know having a full on um full disclosure type relationship with with your pediatrician in in our case you um so okay so closing we're we're getting to the point where we're closing out more the substantive part right. and I do want to just finish up with with my um with my questions so going into back to school and with the notion that your children can't live in a bubble no matter how much you wish that that could be and you know not even having time to really get into the notion that exposure to some germs is good and helps be you know, may or may not help your build your immunity system and that kind of thing. What are the best preventative measures um, that we can take with our children going back into the school, going back to school? Wash their hands. <laughs> you know, so basic one hundred and one. As, as the expression goes, all, all seriousness aside. Uh, now, it, it, you know, when I when I first started practice. Uh, and I went to see a newborn at the hospital. I put on a mask, gloves, a hat, and booties, and after washing my hands. And now all we do is we walk in in street clothes and we wash our hands. Why? Because they have shown over the years more and more that washing the hands is the best preventative of illness. And, right. you know, uh, if you want to... Uh, you know, stretch it to the alcohol, uh, hand wipes, uh, not using brand names, although, you know, it's like Kleenex, uh, you know, everybody refers to the uh, to the, the wipes. The point is that the germs are more likely to be spread on the hands than anything else. The other way right. they're spread, obviously, is by droplet infection. Every time you talk to somebody, every time you cough, every time you sneeze, but even when, you, when you're talking to somebody, you're spraying them with your germs. So... If a kid has a, a runny nose, you know, maybe find a movie to, you know, on TV for them to watch that day rather than right. spread the germs to the class. And make sure that their hands are washed with soapy water several times a day. Uh, soapy right. water usually is enough to, you know, to, to wash off those germs. Wash their toys. Um, you know, everybody always refers to the ball pits as, you know, <laughs> as, uh, as the the, the pool of uh, the pool of germs, which it is, because they they don't wash the you know nobody washes the balls. Uh, unlike my wife, same with baby take, pools, but we're my, moving my out. My wife of will take Lysol wipes and wipe every single toy and every single ball that the grandchildren played with uh, before right. putting them away. And that's really right. What and you if, have you're like, to if you're like the grandfather in my big fat Greek wedding, you're going around with Windex and on everything. Well, I wouldn't advise that, but, you know, close to it. <laughs> but, but, you know, the point is that, the, you know, germs are living organisms, and if you wash them off your hands, they won't do any harm. 
right. and they've shown this over the years. And you know, and everybody thinks that you know it's a nuisance, but it's not. Uh, and when when somebody is obviously sick, they shouldn't come into contact with their children. You know, the the the, the uh, grandparent or the elderly person who is coughing and has a runny nose and claims it's just allergies probably lying to you. So, you know, you, you, you just keep them away. But you can't put your child in a bubble, like you said, and uh, they're going to be exposed, and they're going to come down with their four to six colds a year, and it's just going to happen. Right. Um, you know, four I know to six. I wish, it was, I wish it was just four to six. I feel like it's more like with my kids once a month. I can't discuss your children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you can't answer uh, who's your favorite patient. Oh, they're all precious to me. <laughs> that was actually one of my my Facebook questions for you from one oh. of our from one of our mutual friends. Um, but okay, so let's close out with with just with the substantive portion with just um, quoting by Mark Twain who said, "Be careful about reading health books; you may die of a misprint." And mm-hmm. Dr. Benjamin Spock has also said. Um, of moms, which at the time that he said it was pretty revolutionary in his thinking that you know more than you know more than you think you do. So um, arming yourself with knowledge and just with confidence that you can handle whatever comes your way with your health, your children's health, and to be as forthcoming as possible when you go into the doctor's office and and being an active participant in your child's health care and an active team member and team leader that you should be able to overcome you know anything and your children will be okay and have hopefully just their four to six colds a year. <laughs> So um, so I do want to thank you, Dr. Arnie, for, for sharing your information and your wisdom with us today. And I did want to jump into my Come Tell Mama. It should take another couple of minutes. I know, you, I know you do need to go in, but we can go through it pretty quickly if you're up for it. Okay. I have an eye doctor appointment soon. but <laughs> <laughs> I love it when doctors see other doctors. It just makes me feel like you guys are more human. Well, um, I, I, so- I just... I, I just am compulsively on time at other doctors' offices, but okay, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. keep it we'll keep it quick. You know, I mean, I never get to ask like, "What's up, doc?" Yeah. Um, so this is my usual "Come Tell Mama" se- segment. So when you are taking care of everybody else, what do you do for yourself as far as what is your luxury indulgence? Well. I'm not sure what you really mean, but um, it, it, you know, there is a satisfaction. Uh, the same way when somebody hits a home run, you make a good diagnosis and you, you know, successfully treat a patient. That is, you know, a, a tremendous reward, especially in a field like pediatrics. On the other hand, um, what do you, you do for yourself? Nothing. I enjoy my grandchildren. <laughs> What, maybe your grandkids? Is that like well, a luxury indulgence for you? Whenever, whenever I do see them, since uh, as you know, uh, five of the seven of them live, you know, a four and a half hour, five hour drive, or a two hour air, air flight to see. So um, I'm I'm a bad example along those lines, as most people. Yeah, know. really. Yeah. Wah, wah. We'll have to we'll have to talk about that a little bit yep. more. But but being a pediatrician is basically a twenty four seven seven job and is not for the faint of heart. 
Um, which of the following would you choose? The best sex of your life, the best meal of your life, or the best sleep of your life? You know, my my wife is here, so it's hard to answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Are you going to take a pass? Come on. Yeah, I'm going to take a pass. Really? Yeah. Wow. I tell you everything, and you can't yeah, even know. answer Simple questions. Yeah, okay. I, know. I know. All right. What's your favorite movie genre? Mm. Comedy, romance, horror, action, sci-fi, uh, Comedy. Comedy. Not enough to laugh about in this world, so comedy. Yeah. Medical comedies? <laughs> no. No, I find those to be demeaning. Uh-huh. You know, I... You know, I, I will watch. I will watch House. I will watch uh, Boston Med. Um, I will watch uh, a lot of the medical Royal programs. Royal Pains. Uh, Royal Pains, as you know. Uh, uh, well, no, I can't even do that because of privacy issues. Okay, I want Royal Pains. Yes. Yes. When it comes to food, do you prefer sweet or salty? Sweet. Okay. What do you consider your most beautiful feature? I don't know. I really don't. How about um, how you care for others and would put others' needs before yourself? Hey, that sounds good. You like that one? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to remember that for the next time. Yeah, there you go. I didn't and consider is, that a feature, but that's okay. <laughs> that is a feature. That is oh, okay, a feature. Okay. It's a quality. It's a feature. It doesn't have yeah. to be a, a physical thing. Right. Um, you know, this is a spiritual parenting show. Okay. We look more than just the surface. Uh, and with you doling out advice to everybody else, what is the best advice that your mama gave you? Hard question because, uh, as you know, well, as you may or may not know, she died early, so hard, hard to give you a question. So well, I, I'll thought- give you an answer, yeah. Yeah, as far as advice is concerned, uh, really, back then, I, I I don't remember anything in particular. So, what about your father, or Same somebody thing. else that was really close to you? Same thing, to be honest with you. Same thing. Very hard. I kind of, you know, uh, my mom died while I was uh, in high school, and my father died while I was in college. So, I don't uh, think so, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, no, one, yeah. no wonder why you have like the super father complex and are taking care of everybody else. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you so much, Arnie, for being okay. with us. I will oh, my be pleasure. hopefully not seeing you too soon. I'm, I'm, <laughs> glad we, I'm glad we didn't get into some of the more controversial things, but I was prepared no, for that. No, that's for next time. I tell oh, you, okay. Was, this, was, this was the intro, you know, Dr. Mom 101, but you are uh, most welcome okay. to come back and, and we can dive into the more controversial issues. Right. Okay, good. My pleasure. Good and have a healthy have a healthy fall and uh hopefully I don't see you that much in the office. Yeah, exactly. I don't really want to be seeing you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Arnie. Right, take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. 
All right, so there you've had it, folks. That was a, a good dose of medicine from um, my kid's pediatrician, and who's been also a family friend of ours. You know, I, I'm, you will be sad to know that Dr. Arnie is is really not taking new patients. So um, he was really just doing this. Um, well, probably because I kept nagging him every time I went to, into the office since I started doing the Mama's Pearl show that he needs to come on, on air and, and share his, his knowledge with us and have this conversation. Um, so if there is a question that you do have that's, that's specifically for him, you can ask it through me. You can either send me an email, Cynthia at mamaspearls.com, or um, find me on Facebook at Mama's Pearls or Cynthia Littman. I promise I will be be discreet and um, and pass it along to him. And now that we're all getting back to our day jobs and lining up to make uh, eye doctor's appointments, and he actually just reminded me that I need to make one for myself, um, when you're arming up to get into the back-to-school mode and get your kids a good, clean bill of health, just know, again, that you can handle it, even though it just seems like such an overwhelming experience and such an overwhelming responsibility to have to take care of your children, that you are perfectly capable and that you will find healthcare professionals that you feel comfortable with to guide you along the way, as well as other information and resources and um, and friends and family to, to support you. So... Well, we are heading back to our day jobs here. Just wanted to remind you that you can listen to um, the rebroadcast of this and other Mama's Pearls episodes at www.blogtalkradio.com. You can email myself or Melissa, Cynthia at mamaspearls.com or Melissa at mamaspearls.com. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Cintweet, C-Y-N-T-W-E-E-T. The Mama's Pearls and M's Gems blogs are hosted on our website at www.mamaspearls.com. And again, this is Cynthia reminding you to enjoy your children, enjoy your family, say I love you, and remember that your health and your children's health is your most precious commodity so um, so do what you need to do, guys. All right, have a great week. Next week we are having a very special guest as we're getting into our back-to-school um, mode. We're going to be talking with author Ellen Galinsky and her book, Mind in the Making. So be sure to tune in for next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.